So we are taught that estrogen is the dominant female hormone and that testosterone is the dominant male hormone. Well, think again. We need to rethink this paradigm. If you want to know how to optimize hormones for women, you have to listen to this. There is a big mistake happening in the hormone world, and the only way to correct it is to take control of your own health. So let's talk about hormone replacement therapy. Traditional hormone replacement therapy, if you're lucky, is going to involve estradiol as the estrogen and micronized progesterone as an oral capsule. That's how I prefer to do it. If you're not, your doctor may have prescribed something synthetic. Maybe it has normal estradiol in it, but maybe it has a synthetic progesterone called a progestin in it. I call that synthetic garbage. And if your doctor really doesn't like to use HRT, then they're going to prescribe an oral birth control pill. And let's face it, that is not hormone replacement. Men will get testosterone. Pretty simple. So in the course of getting trained in hormone replacement over the last several years and treating now hundreds of people, um, I stumbled across this kind of hidden secret with testosterone levels in women. Now, I don't know if there's intentional deception here. I can't understand why it's listed like this. Uh, but... For whatever reason, when you do blood testing for hormones in women, we're going to test a lot of stuff, but the two I'm going to focus on right now are estradiol as the estrogen and testosterone. So results are going to be variable for estrogen in women, depending on the time of the month, if they're cycling. But on average, you're going to see around 80 to 100 picograms per ml. It might drop down to almost zero for part of the cycle, but that's the average. The testosterone results are generally going to be about a quarter to a third of that, 20 to 60 nanogram per ml. So the conclusion is, and what I always thought, is that there's more estradiol than testosterone. But if you listen to what I just said, estradiol is, is uh, reported in picograms per ml. Testosterone is reported in nanograms per deciliter. Now, most people don't know what that means. But if you want to convert the units, converting nanograms per deciliter to picograms per ml, you have to multiply the testosterone level by 10. So when you do that, your estrogen remains the same, around 80 to 100. Your testosterone is around 400 to 500. Testosterone is actually the primary sex hormone for women. There's no question. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. If you look at the study from 2013 that we pulled, it actually shows the average level of testosterone and estradiol in women by age. If you look at figure, the figure one from the study, um, it charts it out very nicely. And you can see that there are levels where they almost come close, but it's still over double. And then there are periods of time when it's five times and up to 10 times the level of estrogen. So testosterone is without a doubt the primary sex hormone in women. However, when we replace hormones, even if we're using bioidentical hormones in a lot of physicians, there's still no testosterone. Why? Why would we not replace the primary sex hormone? Is there no benefit? That would be weird. Why would your body make it for so long if there was no benefit? Is there risk? Maybe. Maybe we would see that in studies. So it's interesting from my perspective, because I've talked to a lot of doctors about this, and people are just so afraid to prescribe testosterone. They're afraid to replace it because they fear the experts in the societies. So I'm going to take a few minutes here, and I'm going to read a few things that us doctors read so that you understand where we're coming from. So this is from the Endocrine Society. This is for ways back from 2006, but this is what they said then. We recommend against making a diagnosis of androgen deficiency, that means not having hormones, 
in women at this time because there is neither a well-defined clinical syndrome nor normative data on testosterone or free testosterone concentrations in blood in women across their lifespan that can be used to define the disorder. Okay. So basically what they're saying is they don't want to talk about androgen deficiency because there's not a clear clinical syndrome like there is with menopause, right? Estrogen deficiency causes the vasomotor symptoms of, of, of menopause, but what is, the, what is the symptom of testosterone withdrawal? As someone who uses testosterone, who treats lots of women with testosterone and men, um, there is a clear clinical difference, but it's not one that's going to be easily measured. I'll explain that in a minute. They go on to say at the end, and this was a review paper, they go on to say that this necessary clinical research cannot occur until the biological, physiological, and psychological underpinnings of the role of androgens in women in candidate disorders are further elucidated. It not only reassures clinicians that a trial of testosterone therapy is appropriate for women with hypoactive sexual desire disorder, I'm sorry, dysfunction, HSDD, but very emphatically states that at present, the available evidence does not support the use of testosterone for any other symptom or medical condition. Ouch. So that means that if I prescribe testosterone for any other symptom or medical condition, that I will not get the support of the endocrine society. Okay. So it's not just them. Here's what the Cleveland Clinic has to say. Clinicians should avoid diagnosing female androgen deficiency, that's low testosterone, on the basis of hormonal testing. I don't know what else we would use. Symptoms, I guess. As the syndrome is not well-defined and interpreting androgen levels and their physiologic effects is complex. Here's the thing, I keep talking about hormone testing. We know that the reference range for testosterone in women, especially postmenopausal women, goes down to zero. Literally goes to zero for free testosterone. So how would you ever diagnose someone with androgen deficiency based off of a lab test? Because the reference range goes to zero. So we have to use symptoms. We have to use um, a different reference range, an optimal reference range, not the reference range that they use. This is from the British Menopause Society, and then I'll stop boring you with these. The British Menopause Society says that randomized clinical trials of testosterone to date have not demonstrated the beneficial effects of testosterone therapy for cognition, mood, and energy, and musculoskeletal health. I'm sorry, I'm going to call bullshit on that, because there is evidence to support testosterone for musculoskeletal health. Further, Better design studies are required with these health issues as primary outcome measures as some individuals report improvement from these symptoms. Hmm. Until these data are available, the primary indication for testosterone should therefore be for HSDD following a biopsychosocial approach. Okay. So I look at all these things and I say, okay, well, what, are, what are these things saying to me? And basically what they're saying to me is that more studies need to be done. And I totally agree with that. Let's do more studies. But what's happening is that these studies aren't being done. Women are being left out in the cold here. So I'm going to get into what we have to talk about. There are studies that have been done. They're mostly on HSDD. Uh, but there are studies so we can pull the risks, the benefits from these studies, and we can move forward with that because it's what we do in the health optimization space. But before we do that, if you haven't already, click that subscribe button. That really helps us to help other people because YouTube then takes that and shows it to other people who are looking for uh, bone health answers. So please do that if you haven't already. If you haven't read our book, uh, this book, The Osteoporosis Breakthrough, it's a jumping off point uh, for people with diagnosis of osteoporosis or looking for a fresh approach. It's a quick, simple read. It was made that way very intentionally. If you want to uh, come join us in our free masterclasses where we put all this together in one place, you're welcome to do that as well. Link for that in the description below. Totally free. 
uh, welcome you to come join us there. We do that about every two to four weeks. So let's get into talking about the positives and the negatives. But first, I want to talk about the negatives or potential negatives. So there's a couple studies that have some negatives in them. I'm going to pull up this 2019 meta-analysis first. And so this is really looking for the at the impact of testosterone on postmenopausal women. So there was an increase in LDL cholesterol, which is a topic for another day. Love talking about cholesterol. Um, but it reduced total HDL and triglycerides. So what's the net benefit? Well, who knows? It depends on the context. But we have to understand that this is with oral testosterone and the recommendations that I'm going to make a recommendation for my patients is going to be topical. So it doesn't happen with topical. That only happens with oral. They also noticed an increase in weight, which a lot of postmenopausal women don't like, but they didn't talk about body composition. Body composition is ultimately more important. If you put on muscle mass, you're going to put on weight. Um, so we want to know is that fat or is that lean muscle mass? And there is a study later that will show that. Um, they did talk about side effects like acne and hair growth, and you'll hear this from people. This is generally a dose-related thing or a route-related thing. And so the acne and hair growth is something that can be uh, measured, it can be blocked, um, and it's usually, again, a dose thing. So a lower dose actually wouldn't cause that effect. So we don't really worry about that. If it's picked up, we can generally fix it. So the benefits they listed in this, I'm going to talk about the rest of the benefits later, but the benefits in this study, I just wanted to list this out because I don't even know how they had instruments to measure all these things. And yet we can't measure the other benefits of testosterone, but this is what they listed out. This uh, study showed an increased sexual function. They showed increased satisfactory with sexual event frequency, increased sexual desire increased pleasure, increased arousal, increased orgasm, increased responsiveness, increased self-image, reduced sexual concerns, and reduced sexual distress. Wow, that's a lot of things to measure about sex. And yet we don't have anything to measure all the other potential benefits of testosterone. That blows my mind. So all those things are fine, but that's not really why we use testosterone. Let's talk about other risks. So what about the risk of breast cancer? I hear this one a lot. People might ask, like, how could testosterone cause breast cancer? Like, men have testosterone. They don't get breast cancer. Well, they do, just not very often. You can get an increase in estrogen from testosterone by this process called aromatization. In fact, men, that's where we get almost all of our testosterone, I'm sorry, all of our estrogen from is from aromatization. So you will see aromatization of testosterone in women as well. So for women that we put on testosterone and aren't on estradiol, their estradiol levels do come up. Not very much, but they come up some. So this has been looked at. There was a 2019 trial that looked at the incidence of breast cancer in patients that were on testosterone. And there were over 1,200 patients in the trial, um, and they found 11 cases of invasive breast cancer. So you might be thinking, oh my gosh, we can't use testosterone because they had an increased risk of breast cancer. But remember, there was no control in this study. And if you were to look at the expected rate of development of breast cancer in 1,200 people across the board, you would actually expect to see more. So the conclusion from this was actually that long-term therapy with subcutaneous testosterone or testosterone combined with AI, which is a drug called anastrozole, conversation for another day, did not increase the incidence of invasive breast cancer. And they also further said that testosterone should be investigated for hormone therapy and breast cancer prevention. So they're actually thinking, hey, let's take it the other direction and let's actually talk about preventing breast cancer with testosterone. One of the things that might actually support that is another study we found, this 2007 randomized control trial in 99 patients, they looked at actual like a, a needle biopsy of the breast tissue. And these were on patients that were on estrogen and an artificial progesterone called a progestin, which I don't recommend. Um, but they were on estradiol, a progestin, and testosterone. 
or they were on a testosterone placebo. And what they found is that those that had testosterone on board actually had less breast cell proliferation. So actually, there might be a, um, a hypothesis that testosterone could be um, preventive of breast cancer. That has not been proven, uh, but that is a theory. My question is for anybody using estrogen and, and micronized progesterone, which is the way that I would recommend doing it, um, why wouldn't you use testosterone too? Again, replacing the primary sex hormone, potentially a decreased risk of breast cancer. Why wouldn't you add testosterone to that? So what about other concerns of testosterone? In men, we talk about heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, but what about in women? Does that happen in women? Well, we got a study for that. So there's a 2009 database analysis. This was in over 8,000 women. Over 2,000 of them were on testosterone. And they found no increased risk of cerebrovascular disease, that's stroke, ischemic heart disease, that's heart disease and heart attack, breast cancer, blood clot, pulmonary embolism, diabetes, hepatitis, none of it. There was no increased risk whatsoever in anything that they studied in people on testosterone. So let's talk about the benefits. So now again, almost all these studies are on libido and sexual function. And that's the case because the, the, the only FDA approved diagnosis for testosterone is sexual dysfunction. So we have to kind of read between the lines on these studies and to figure out, okay, what are the other potential benefits? So I pulled a 2006 randomized control trial that was using oral testosterone again, and they did find a measurable increase in lean muscle mass. In fact, they measured weight, they measured lean muscle mass, they gained about a kilogram, so that's 2.2 pounds, but they did not gain any fat. I don't know anybody that wouldn't kind of dig another two pounds of muscle on their body. So, um, oral testosterone, increase in lean muscle mass. But this study did show the potential risk of increased lipids. Again, LDL goes up with oral testosterone, but not topical, um, and possibly uh, increased insulin resistance, which would be concerning. But again, I think this contributed to the oral side, uh, not the testosterone itself. So my experience is, because we use this a lot for women, because there's a potential for improvements in bone health if you extrapolate based off of the male literature. What I see in women is that there are improved sexual symptoms. If they had them, they generally get better. But we do see consistently increased lean muscle mass, increased strength, increased bone mineral density, increased vitality and vigor, cognition, improved aesthetics. These things are kind of hard to measure. And this is the challenge in the research is how do you measure vitality and vigor? When I spent, I spent about a decade on the research committee for the American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society. And what I was continually frustrated with is that the instruments that we use to collect data are not sensitive enough to measure what's happening in high functioning people. Our society is so sick that we're trying to catch, you know, what's happening in the general population, but the general population is terribly symptomatic. So how do you take people that are doing well and then measure better? And this is really hard to do. And that's why there are no studies showing that this, there's a benefit, A, because they haven't been done. But even if they were done with the instruments that we have, we're not going to see it. But what I can see as a clinician is that women feel better. They function better. They have that vitality, that vigor. They want to go out and do the things that they want to do. So I'm a huge advocate for this, obviously. But let me give you a little bit of a, a warning here. If you're ready to jump on the bandwagon, let's talk about how you get it. So we prescribe it in the United States. Um, and in the United States, there are about 30 FDA approved testosterone products for men. Guess how many there are for women? Zero, not a one. In the United Kingdom, guess how many there are for women? Zero, not a one. There might be one in Australia, I heard. 
What's challenging about this is then women are left to try to find it on their own. And when you get outside of the traditional medical model, you find really cool practices like mine. And there are a lot of others, but there are people who are doing dubious things. And so you find people that are using testosterone at really high levels. I'm not a fan of pellets that fits in the same category. Pellets are the little things that go under the skin. They're put in every two to three months. And you can get some ludicrously high levels that will result in side effects. And once that thing is in there, it's not coming out. <laughs> and you are on a roller coaster ride. So I have a lot of women in my practice that have tried that in the past and had a really bad outcome. Um, and so I'm not a fan of pellets. I'm also a big fan of testing. I've talked about that retest. You need to know what your levels are. We don't want to drive it too high because you can get symptomatic. Um, and so we want to be very careful. Women process these things very differently. If you're using a cream, if you're using a, um, well, you'd be using a cream, you could use a male patch, but the dosing is all off. But if you're using something topical, the the differences in the skin, the location, the, the person, everybody's dose is different. So you got to test. You got to get it from the right person. So all that said, in conclusion, my feeling is that testosterone is the primary sex hormone for women. It has not been studied in women for I don't know why. Dubious reasons, maybe, I don't know. But women are consistently failed by medical research, and this is another example of that. Testosterone research is just generally looked down upon in both men and women. There is some research on testosterone in men, and there's some good studies on men. Um, I think that the good research in women is just unlikely to actually happen. So I think that we really just need to take what we have. We need to move forward. We need to make some educated uh, decisions and decide what's right for each patient based on the provider uh, that you're working with. So I think that responsible prescribing and testing can improve bone mineral density in men and likely in women. It likely reduces fracture risk. There are no studies that prove that, but ultimately from a health span perspective, it still makes sense because we want to optimize hormone levels. And if testosterone is the primary sex hormone, why wouldn't we be optimizing it if there's no obvious risk? So that's all I got on testosterone. I hope that makes sense. I'm sorry this was a little bit of a longer video, but you can tell I'm a little passionate about this topic. Um, if you want the opportunity to be able to ask me, a teammate, uh, uh, or other people in our group questions, you might want to consider joining our HealthSpan Nation. Our HealthSpan Nation is a, a group of people that we're getting together, both from our, our patients, our health optimization side, as well as our bone health side, to be able to have these topic-driven conversations once a week, these live Q&As. I'm going to do interviews uh, in these live Q&As as well with some people, and I'm super excited about uh, the people that I've lined up for this kind of podcast-style interviews with the opportunity for you to ask questions. Um, and then uh, you also have access then to the, the community. You have access to our discount uh, codes from uh, vetted uh, affiliates and uh, supplements uh, and all kinds of things. So uh, pretty cool thing, HealthSpan Nation. Check it out. Go over to drdouglucas.com to check that out. Thanks for making it to the end. I'll see you on the next video.